Leadership is the art of giving people a platform for spreading ideas that work. Welcome to DC Local Leaders, the podcast where we talk to C-suite leaders within the DC area. Our guests share their pathways to success and the important moments that impacted their careers. Lean in as we get the inside scoop on how they are shaping their industries, how they lead, manage, and connect with others. From the sectors of aerospace, defense, tech, IT, and more, this is Local Leaders. Your host has been making meaningful connections with industry leaders for over 15 years. Here's Philip Nathrum. Welcome back to the DC Local Leaders Podcast. I'm your host, Philip Nathrum, and thank you so much for spending some time with us today. If it's your first time here, we're so glad that you joined us today. Please remember to follow us wherever you happen to be listening, as well as to find us on Facebook, Instagram, and come find me on LinkedIn. There's a direct link right below the show. Also, Search us out on the web at dclocalleaders.com. There you'll find not only our past episodes with leaders in the area, but also our Monday mindsets and an opportunity to join our book club and newsletter, all designed to help us get 1% better every day. It's not a you thing. It's not a me thing. It's a we thing. Let's do it together. Today's episode is with Sabari Gupta, the CEO and entrepreneur behind Electrosoft. They've just celebrated their 20th year anniversary in business and have been named one of the best places to work by Washington Post in 2021. Electrosoft delivers results that drive the mission success of their customers. Electrosoft was founded in 2001 and is an award-winning IT and professional services firm with one mission in mind, to deliver the highest quality solutions and services through an emphasis on integrity, customer service, excellence, teamwork, and respect. Sabari shares her experience and what she's learned over the last 20 years running this company, starting with just herself and now growing it to over 100 people. Some of the things we covered in this episode were how she treats her notebook every single morning. She's got a morning routine of how she sets up quadrants, something she learned from Stephen Covey, and she's been practicing that for 20 years and it has brought her success. She protects her morning so that she can be creative and get the things done that she needs to get done. And she sets up priority list right in the beginning every single morning. She talks a little bit about her yoga practice and how that's helped her with her breathing techniques to stay calm and to manage some of the highs and lows of entrepreneurship that inevitably come. We gain some insights on what it's like to balance family and work being the mother of two daughters. And listen until the end if you're an entrepreneur and you're struggling with the idea of what position do I fill next. She gives us her experience and some of the advice she was given on who to put in place and when to help your business grow. If you're looking to get out of the operations of business and into the strategic management of your business, you want to listen until the end. And again, as always, we are partnered with NVTC, that's Northern Virginia Technology Council, to host Let's Talk Tech with NVTC. So don't miss our new episodes coming out once a month. We just did one with MITRE, so that is everywhere. You can find it on our YouTube, on Instagram, on nvtc.org, and you can check them out for more updates on their Twitter, at Nova Council. So again, we really appreciate you being here. Come find me on LinkedIn. I want to connect with you. Search us out on the web, dclocalleaders.com, and let's get into the episode. All right, so Sabari Gupta, Electrosoft, we're here in your office. Uh, Great sign on the building. Thank you, thank you. What's Electrosoft mean? Those two, I mean, electronic It doesn't mean anything, it's just a name, and I think when we started the company, my uh, husband and I, we we were were both co-founders, 
So he was doing electronics work uh, and I was doing software development and we were both consulting to other companies. And so this was initially created as a corporate entity through which we could do consulting work for other companies. We had a chance to talk a little bit earlier and I just, I really appreciated the entrepreneurship that came out of our story. You started this company just kind of by taking a chance, right? Yeah, I mentioned the corporate entity. We created it for corp-to-corp consulting work. That was in 97, but then after that, both my husband and I, we took full-time jobs with companies, and so the corporate entity was just uh, sitting on the side. Then in 2001, I hadn't really planned it a lot, but I was working for a, a startup, an internet startup that had a security product. And one Monday morning, it got to the point where I decided I'm just going to turn in my resignation. So I did, and I didn't have anything else lined up. And so I thought, well, I've always wanted to try out entrepreneurship. Maybe this is a time. This is an opportunity. This is a gap. So then I uh, could have started another corporate entity to carry on the business. But since Electrosoft, uh, the corporation existed, the paperwork existed, bank accounts, et cetera, et cetera, So I just decided to start with that. That's how in 2001, April of 2001 is when I got started with Electrosoft in the current version of the company. Was that scary? You had just left something and you weren't sure what was happening next. What did that feel like? Well, it's always scary to start something new, whether it's a new job or definitely if it's a new business and you haven't done this before. But I don't know, I wasn't really scared. I I guess I had um, convinced myself that I'll try this out for a year, max two years. If it doesn't work, I believed I was employable. <laughs> I thought I could get another job. You would job. just go back to doing something yeah. else. Yeah, yeah. It, it surprises me how many entrepreneurs have that sort of initial mindset. Mm-hmm. It sounds like there was something in you that was at least open to the idea of doing something on your own versus, hey, I need to go find another job now. Yeah, I, actually, I always wanted to do something on my own, but it's hard to find the courage to start something on your own, such a risky path. When you have a good paying job and money's coming in, it's very hard to give that up. How did you process trying to figure that out? Are you a journaler? Do you have mentors? Were you big at prayer and meditation? What were you doing at the time to try to figure out what the best move was? So what did I do? So actually, I wasn't planning to start this all on my own. What happened was when I turned in my resignation, you know, obviously I was thinking about my options. What should I do? And then I thought I, I uh, contacted one of my previous uh, bosses uh, who was a mentor to me. And so it turned out that he was also about to leave the company that he was with. We agreed that maybe he and I could go into a federal contracting business together. And that made me feel very comfortable because um, I told you he was my boss, but he was actually the founder and owner of one of the companies I worked with called Signacom. And so I thought that, well, he's been through this before. I was very much into the technical depths at that time in my field of expertise. And I thought I could bring the technical uh, side of things, and I thought he would know the business angle for how to make a federal contracting business work. Mm -hmm. So I thought that was a great pairing, and I was feeling quite comfortable. But then as it so turned out, the company he was with at the time, he basically uh, told me that they made him an offer that he couldn't refuse, and so he decided to stay a couple more years at that Mm -hmm. company. And so basically he wasn't going to be able to join me in this new venture. But he did say that he could provide guidance if I needed any because he definitely understood the federal contracting path. So then my decision was, should I back out since the partner, the seasoned partner I was expecting to pair up with is not going to be working this with me or to just go ahead anyway? 
And so just personality-wise, I guess, I hate to change my mind like that at the last moment. You know, I like to do what I set out to do. So I thought, anyway, what's the big downside? And if it doesn't work, I can always go back and get a job. So I thought, let me try this out. What's the worst thing that can happen? So I decided to go forward on my own. And I did consult with that gentleman, and he did give me a lot of pointers in the beginning about how to get a GSS schedule contract or... He connected me up with the senior leaders in other contracting companies to have initial discussions. So he helped me out in the beginning, but not as a partner, but more as a mentor. So you had some guidance, but there's something that I've said before and that other leaders have told me is that there's no motivation quite like no alternative, <laughs> right? Yep, yep. So when you had already left, you had to make this work. Are you the first in your family to be an entrepreneur or do you come from a family of entrepreneurs? No, no, I think in my family, I am the first. Um, actually, in India, I come from a family uh, that's very academically oriented, lots of doctors and engineers and very studious people, I guess, in yeah. general. How long were you there before you moved here? I was about 22, I guess, when I moved here to the United States uh, to do graduate school after my engineering undergraduate was done. I moved here to uh, study at the University of Maryland to do a master's degree yeah. at the University of Maryland. What, what kind of Master's Electrical engineering, that's the field uh, yeah. that I did my undergraduate in as well. So I came here to do my master's. And then when I finished my master's, I thought I'd get a job, but I had gone to India in the break time. And my dad said, what, you went all the way to another country and just for one year, one and a half years of study, why don't you do a PhD? So first I didn't want to, I wanted to earn some money, right? But yeah. it so turned out that after I came back from that visit, I talked to the he turned out to be my advisor later on for my PhD, but he had a kind of a setup where some of his graduate students used to get a research scholar, what can I say? A fellowship? A fellowship from IBM. He had some kind of a IRAD, I guess, internal research and development that IBM was paying money for their internal research and development, but the money, some of it was funding graduate research students in their PhDs. So... Then I thought, okay, well, let me just do it because the fellowship I was getting was uh, equivalent to the kind of money I would earn at a job at that time, and yet I could proceed with my PhD. So I thought, okay, well, let's do it. So it worked out. I got to uh, what, have my cake and eat it too. So you mentioned your husband. How long have you been married? Oh, we've been married uh, since 89. So how long is that? Uh, 32 years, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> Did you meet in grad school? No, not in grad school. We actually met in undergraduate college. So we were both probably 18 when we met, you know. Uh, and that was in India? Yeah, that was in India in the college that uh, we both attended. He was one year senior to me, but we were the same age, I guess. But and yeah, we've known each other since 1982. So it's been a long time. We've practically grown up together, you know. Yeah, kids? Yeah, I have two daughters. Uh, both are grown. They're, they're done with their education. They're both working. One's at Microsoft, one's at Google. What impact do you think you've had on them just being in the position that you're in, running a company the way that you have? They obviously overhear phone conversations or dinnertime conversations or things that you're talking about that your company's doing, even from a young age? Well, I guess since both my husband and I are engineers, from a young age, I think they, they, they felt that this is something interesting, you know, because my husband, in fact, he would play a lot of math games, you know, with both my daughters. He would give them challenges and they would work on it. And kids learn from their environment, right? If they see their parents enjoy something or some activity they do with their parents that's enjoyable, they tend to want to do more of that, right? Mm -hmm. When I started my business, I think my daughters were about nine and six each, so that they were uh, still pretty young. But I guess just watching me, uh, and both of us, I guess, we are both professionals, both my husband and I. I mean, 
I don't know what they learned, but I'm sure they at least felt that they shouldn't be uh, scared of work, that this is something that's uh, worth doing and working hard, I guess. Maybe that's something they learned. Certainly, Mm -hmm. they've seen a lot of hard work in front of them. Were you tough on them? I I don't know what what's tough what tough is but expectations were high I think I have a very friendly relationship with my uh, two daughters especially them being daughters mother daughters have a uh, have a close bond right but I think in terms of uh, toughness I guess I believe in disciplines for example they would watch TV until I came home from work but after that there was no TV on in our household neither um, you know the parents nor the children so they were supposed to do their homework or we played games when they were younger. I mean, that was the rule in the house. I don't know if, the, if you call that tough or not, but that's just the environment that they grew up in. Where'd you get those rules? Were those your parents' rules? Was that how it was in your house? Well, the, not not really, but uh, see, the thing is, each generation, we, are, we grew up in a different environment. When my parents grew up, there was no TV, at least back in India. Even when I grew up. So you didn't the, have a TV when you were growing n- No, we did not. And so I remember I was probably in 10th or 11th grade when we got our first TV at home. It's not the specifics, it's the more broad values that I think you carry forward. So when our kids were growing up, they could have been watching TV. They, and at that time, they didn't have uh, that many like video games. It still wasn't a big deal uh, at the time. Who was tougher on you between your mother and your father? That, that's a great question. So my dad was very busy with his work. So we didn't, he didn't really discipline us a lot. But when he... When he had something to say, it was very strict. He, he's, he was very strict. But I think our mother probably had much more, you know, uh, interaction with the kids. I mean, um, the middle child of a, you know, of a three-kid family. So she had a much uh, bigger influence, I would say, on us. But in some ways, because she communicated much more, she was with us a lot more. But on the other hand, my dad was a great role model. He was very devoted to his work. He was an engineer as well. The discipline that I saw in my father with his work, my mother to manage a home with three kids and the husband's working hard, it's a lot of work, right? Yeah. I saw a lot of planning, a lot of discipline, good intentions, good values, solid values. And so I think that that impacts you for sure. When you say the discipline, was it ever a little bit like guilt or shame? Thankfully, you know, all three kids, I guess, we were pretty good in, in school. We were doing well academically. So no, I don't think we faced a lot of that. I've talked about this uh, with various other people. I think our parents actually did a great thing and which was against the normal culture back in India at that time, which is they never made us feel small or bad. They kind of helped us to feel good about ourselves. And partly, I guess it helped that none of us were doing terribly in school anyway. So it wasn't like a constant point of, oh, why didn't you get better grades? But Do you find yourself having a similar relationship with your daughters that your parents had with you? Well, so my mother had a very friendly, close relationship with her children, with us, me and my siblings, right? So I've tried to emulate that uh, with my do- own daughters. So certainly I, I feel that we are close. We can talk about anything. We, we laugh, we joke, we play, we participate in things with our kids. We'd go hiking a lot when they were younger or go boating. In fact, being an immigrant to the U.S., our kids didn't have the benefit of the uh, broader family with to interact yeah. with, right? Whereas for me, growing up, I grew up in a multi-generational home where we had my grandmother, my great-grandmother living in the same home, an aunt, an uncle of my my father's uncle and his family living in the same home. So we always had people around. Our kids, they grew up in a very nuclear family with just my husband and I and the two kids, right? 
And so I always felt that I needed to give them time, and so did my husband. So yeah, both of us, we tried what we could to engage with them and to do things together. It was fun for both sides, right? It wasn't for any ulterior motive than to just have fun. You're also, you're big into yoga too, right? Yeah, actually big into yoga. Yoga meaning I, I do yoga at home now. In the beginning, I would go to studios and stuff and did some hot yoga for a couple of years. But over the last, I don't know, at least a decade now or more. Yeah, actually, I started doing yoga in earnest in 2009. So it's been about, what, 12 years. Is it a mix of, of movements and breathing? What do you do when you say you do your yoga? I guess I've concocted my own session of poses. Usually I do movements for about half an hour and then about 15 minutes I do the breathing, the pranayama for some time, because I think that's really magical. That's it really calmed me down. You're an energetic person. Yeah, I'm an energetic person, but I think uh, the pranayama helps me to, you know, just stay calm and uh, it just balances me out a lot, which I really appreciate, especially running a business. There's always uh, stress, right? Yeah, I was going to ask, like, how does that play into you preparing yourself to be in the position that you're in just as an entrepreneur, but also as the leader of this business? Yeah, yoga helps me in many ways, it's especially all of us are getting older, right? So yoga helps me to stay uh, fit, I think, and able to do what I want to do. But uh, the uh, yoga and the pranayama, especially since I do it in the morning, I think it's a very calm way to start the day. And so then, you know, things come at me all day long and, you know, I, I can deal with it, I guess I feel. For what's, sure. your, what's your morning routine look like? You wake up at the same time every day? Yeah, yeah, I wake up somewhat at the same time. I, as I said, I do about 30 to 45 minutes of yoga and, and pranayama breathing, the breathing exercises. Then after that, I mean, I get ready for work usually, you know, have my breakfast. Yeah. I have you a, do any kind of journaling? I know, like I take cold showers and I think you were saying a lot of people back uh, in India were taking cold showers Yeah, no, I don't, I can't take cold showers. That's too You're hard not, for me. No. <laughs> Good luck to you. I, I, really uh, admire that you can do that. But as I start work, uh, one of the first things I do every day, I'm a big uh, notebook person. I always have a running uh, spiral notebook uh, with me when I'm working. And every morning when I start to work, I'll put the date at the top of the page. I usually create a four quadrant uh, kind of structure and uh, something like the Stephen Covey, the seven habits. I think he had this scheme of dividing up your tasks into four Mm -hmm. quadrants, basically based on urgency and importance. And so I try to uh, jot down what are the to-dos or actions I need to take, whether it's today or in the future, based on that quadrant scheme to kind of uh, classify them as important and urgent or just important but not urgent and what's urgent but not so important. Uh, so, so then at least I see a map of what's, what I need to work on, what I need to focus on for the day and the next day, et cetera. And so, so that's kind of a running thing. So throughout the day, I look at that uh, little four-quadrant map and figure out, okay, what's the next thing I ought to be doing the right time of the day for to tackle that activity. So you, and you do that generally every morning? Yeah, every morning I do that. And whatever I don't complete from the day before, I take those, I mean, as I complete each task, I'll put a line through it so Mm -hmm. it's done, right? Mm -hmm. So the next day when I start the same exercise, I'll look back a couple of pages to see, okay, what did I, what were the outstanding items from my last four coordinate map, right? And then put them into the new uh, coordinate structure. How long have you been doing that? I don't know, maybe 15 years. Yeah. But it's really helped me because it's a very simple scheme. It's just paper and pencil, but it uh, allows me to think through at least at a broader level what I have to uh, attend to and then try to prioritize like what's important to do because it's so easy to get bogged down 
in the morning, especially with unimportant, just checking email and responding to random emails and stuff. I really try to protect my morning. In fact, each person needs to figure out when their brain works best. For me, the morning hours are the most productive where I can think clearly, I can write hopefully nicely, <laughs> things like that. So I really try to protect my morning. So one thing I do, given that I am the CEO of our company, I have the um, I could, can tell the people in my team that do not schedule any morning meetings for me. If they're uh, company meetings, I want them to be scheduled in the afternoon. Mm. So my afternoon is back-to-back meetings most m- most of the time. But my mornings, at least, they're clear from typical recurring company meetings. I mean, I don't do that in the mornings. But in the mornings, that's when I do my thinking. If I have to write something, if sometimes I'm working on a proposal or an article, or in once in a while on some customer work, that's when I can use my brain to do yeah. something creative, something uh, of value. Have you read the book When by Daniel Pink? I have not. I have no. Not it's a book where it talks a little bit about that, like understanding who you are as a person, mm-hmm. the type of thinker you are, the type of person you are, and when you'll be able to best do certain tasks. Mm-hmm. When, right? And I mean, it's great. I just started it. He really dug into why uh, we pick certain time periods, but then also the individual, like you seem to know that you work better in the morning or that's when you, that's when you Mm -hmm. think more clearly. Exactly, especially if it requires creative thinking or some focused work. Yeah, Yeah. mornings are are the best for me, for sure. I mean, all my life is not something I realized just when I uh, started a business. I mean, even during, you know, school time, the hardest things that I had to learn, I would I, I would kind of leave for the morning. Do you coach that with the other staff here and the other people around you to like, for them to no, figure no. that out on their own? Yeah, I mean, everybody's different, and I can't uh, presume that just because I work better in the morning that everybody else does. Right? No, that but I mean, so. encourage them to figure that oh, out. Oh, the when aspect. Well, uh, not explicitly, but I do tell them why. Whenever a new, let's say, corporate staff person comes in, they don't know, before I tell them that mornings are kind of precious for me and I don't like to have any corporate, you know, the standing meetings in the morning. So they would schedule a meeting at 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock, and through every time they would do that, I would say that, please, can we schedule this in the afternoon instead, because I like to keep my mornings open. So that's how they learn, and I tell them why I do that, and so if they can take that as an example and apply it to their own lives, that's fine, but I don't really coach that as you should try to figure out when your brain works. Yeah, compartmentalizing your day, every leader talks about that, and I think every successful successful person talks about that, whatever they happen to do. Mm-hmm. like They pick a certain period of the day where they're only doing emails, or they're mm-hmm. only responding to certain things, or that's they have another section of the day where they're having their meetings, to the best of their ability. Obviously, every day something pops up and things happen, but without some sort of structure, uh, That's the thing. Then you're just just going to meetings or shuffling from one meeting yeah, to another. And, it's just uh, the shotgun approach. And it's exactly. Not work. No, that that it really stresses me out to have that. So as you said, there's there's things popping up all the time. So again, having the mornings available, knowing that I have the time to tackle something that can, even if it's not planned, right? But at least I have the yeah. ability to focus on it. But more stressful would be something pops up and. I have uh, meetings from eight in the morning to five in the uh, evening, and I have no time to really think through the problem and come up with a solution. That would be much more stressful. Do you follow any sort of specific diet at all or to try to keep yourself healthy and sharp mentally? So I'll tell you, uh, I've never really been into dieting as such, but I wasn't that cautious about my food all my life. But about 10 years ago, my uh, sister died. She was a cancer doctor, but she died of cancer. And so when she got the diagnosis, 
I just couldn't believe it. I thought, how how is this possible? So I started reading like crazy online. So what can cause such uh, such diseases and whatnot? She led a generally healthy lifestyle. She wasn't overweight. She wasn't drinking herself uh, silly or smoking. <laughs> so she didn't do the typical things that you think uh, that a person in at that age to get cancer. How old was she? She was 50 when it was diagnosed, and at 51 and a half or so, she was dead. But anyway, so when she was diagnosed, it was just a huge mental impact on me. And she said that the type of cancer I have, I probably have six months to a year. So that was even a second level of blow. I mean, lots of people get cancer, but they survive it. So when I started doing reading this and that, and it just kept coming back to it's your diet, it's the stress level. It's more of a holistic, the whole whole foods-based diet, something that comes from a natural, not things, things we eat at home don't come from a can or uh, from a packaged uh, box necessarily. We try to buy fresh vegetables, fresh meats, uh, you know, fish, etc. Do you have, but produce. like whole foods, like the whole thirty yeah, diet, yeah. right? You ever done that before? Uh, for no. thirty days, you only. Well, you're doing it anyway. Like I guess whole so, but then we eat very healthy. I mean, for for the last ten years, at least, I can say we eat uh, very healthy, and very healthy means and doesn't mean that we don't eat this and don't eat that. In general, try to eat a clean, have a clean diet, I guess, mm-hmm. and definitely stay away from foods that are processed, that have the uh, preservatives and the additives, I guess, mm-hmm. for flavoring and all that. Do you feel an actual difference uh, from the, can you think back to the way you used to feel before and the way you feel now after you eat? Like, is there? Many years ago, I used to always have, um, you know, a bowl of cereal, let's say, uh, for breakfast. It was a quick breakfast before I went to work. Then I would always get like very irritated around 11, 1130. And then, of course, I had to eat and then I would feel good again. And so I never realized what that was, but then somewhere in the middle, I started having just two eggs for breakfast instead of the, the cereal. Then magically, when I would have two eggs, I just felt much more stable throughout the morning and I never really had those hunger pangs. Or, and I realized it's the protein rather than all the, all the carbs that I was eating, you know, the sugar. So the eggs breakfast went on for quite a few years. It's just uh, very good for me. I think it, it's been great, actually. How many employees do you have here at, at Electrosoft? At Electrosoft, we have over 100, maybe 105, 110 employees right now. What was it like when you were adding the very first corporate employee? The first corporate employee uh, was uh, for accounting. So I told you I got started on my own. And so I was, in the beginning, I was doing the QuickBooks, you know, for accounting. I was doing the business development sales to get some new work. And I was also the technical performer to do the work once we wanted, right? I mean, that's how it is for any, you know, startup. I mean, especially with one or two people involved. But then I think the first corporate employee was part time to help me with the QuickBooks. And then and then what was it after that? Like I'm trying to get an idea mm-hmm. of like this this progression. Well, Melissa, I guess she was our first corporate employee, and she minded our QuickBooks and stuff. And then after that, I think most of the hires were technical folks doing you know actual billable work. The most uh, significant corporate employee that I hired was in the position of a VP of operations. And I guess I was at that point, I was feeling a little uh, like I'm going crazy. You know, there were, we had a bunch of uh, customer contracts. And for each of the contracts, we did have a project manager, but they all reported into me. And so it's getting like a little overwhelming for me to be able to oversee so many different uh, projects, you know, and provide technical mm-hmm. expertise or guidance to them as needed. And so, and sometimes the guidance wasn't technical, it was about people-related issues, right? That happens much more than technical issues, actually, personnel issues. Creating the role of the VP of operations and then hiring a senior seasoned operational leader, that has been a great uh, step forward for our company. 
because as probably exists in most um, businesses that are started by one or two people, those one or two people become the bottleneck for the uh, company's growth and success. So to pull yourself back, that's the hard part for an entrepreneur many times. So anyway, so we, when we hired this VP of operations, that allowed me to kind of step back from the day-to-day operational details of the various contracts and projects that we had. And the VP of operations, he actually uh, kept those calm and under control. That allowed me to then focus on new business development, which was good because it allowed me to focus on the growth-oriented aspects yeah. rather than the day-to-day existing operational contract issues. What are some of the indicators that you can share for any other entrepreneur or small business owner that may be in the same position to look for as to now it's time? It, yes, you're going to have to pay for it, and hopefully you have enough you know, income well, in the company. To, I guess to the indicator for me was how am I using my time? Our time is the most valuable thing we have by far. So if an entrepreneur himself or herself in a position where most of their day is focused on doing things that are not really strategically moving the company forward, then they need to take stock of, okay, how can I get these off my plate? And in order to get it off that person's plate, obviously you need someone else's plate to put it on, Mm -hmm. then at that point you might have to hire an appropriate uh, skilled person to take on the load, right? So basically for me, the reason I hired the VP of operations or created the role was because I found myself just um, overwhelmed with day-to-day things going on with uh, different contracts and not really able to focus on higher level, more strategic things to move the business forward. But why why a VP of operations and not, say, an admin or someone that maybe didn't require as much overhead? Well, that's a great question. So it, the reason it was a VP level person was because I needed that person to make some decisions. I could hire an admin person, but they would just relay the same yeah. question or issue to me. It um, wasn't an information collection problem. No, th- that was wasn't, at least not at that time. And so rather than an admin, in fact, we still don't have any just pure admins in our company. You know, most of us, even the senior folks in the company, we share in whatever admin duties we need. But back to the VP of operations, I needed somebody who was capable of overseeing federal government contracts, knew the typical challenges that come up and how to uh, handle them without running to me each time for the answer. But also, you know, as, and he would share with me the issues where he thought, you know, I would either care. I mean, knowing me, he knew which things I cared more about, which things I didn't care as much about. So he would bring to me the topics uh, that he knew I would want to know about, or at least say that this is what I'm planning to do. Do you agree, or do you have any other thoughts? So it it worked out very well. It made a huge difference for our company and for my life, I guess, in in a sense. And so similarly, at each stage, so last year we hired a a CFO-level person, a highly skilled accounting finance person. Is this the first time? Yeah, as a CFO-level person, we've had accounting help for many years. But what I found myself is I was having to make certain decisions about the finance accounting side that as a business owner, you can make any decision. you. I mean, you're asked to make all kinds of decisions. Some you're equipped to make and some you're not. But I realized that I was out of my depth in terms of making some, some of the decisions in this arena, in the accounting area, let's say. And so last year, we hired a you know, very qualified uh, person in the CFO role. And that's, that's been a great, again, addition for the company mm-hmm. because it takes me out of those kinds of high-level decisions. Plus, the CFO, he can now look for strategic ways to improve our business through that angle that I could not see. Right. We don't know what we don't know. Right. And we all have our own individual strengths. And it sounds like from what you're saying is that even for small businesses and entrepreneurs, you know, if you don't have that CFO function, you can still be successful and grow, but only until a certain point. 
And then you have to make some strategic decisions to get you to that next level. Because it's... There's no one formula for business growth or success. Each person, I mean, each person has a certain set of skills or amount of work that they're willing to put in to make their business succeed. And so I don't think there's any such one formula. For the business owner or owners, they need to figure out, I mean, they need to ask themselves, you know, am I using my time appropriately? Do I have the skill sets to make the kinds of decisions I'm having to make? And if not, should I seek help? And what level of help should I seek? You know? yeah. And sometimes it's also predicated upon what funding is available. You know, if you're very short on cash, it would be very hard to find and or pay a, a high level person, you know, in, in a certain field. In fact, that's one of the challenges when we were uh, just starting out. It's very hard for to attract a a very senior, very highly capable uh, leader to join a very small outfit with mm-hmm. let's say three or four people, right? But hopefully, as it as as the company grows and you have more success, it's easier to attract the kind of quality personnel or leaders that you want to your team because they also want to be part of the growth uh, ride and be participate in that, right? Engage yeah. in that. So it's exciting for everybody. But but yeah, I mean, I, I think there's no again one formula that I can. I'm certainly not in any position to say that this is the formula that works. I think it's, it's, it's somewhat to do with introspection and looking at what's happening and how you're spending your time, what you want to do with the company, and are you able to focus enough time on doing that? And if not, how can you take some of the load off of your own plate so that it gives you, again, the gap or the time to handle what you really want to do? Yeah, and I think it's a it's also a willingness and an open-mindedness to know that you may not be the best person to be doing that task or that you have to put some trust into someone else to have the same passion and energy into doing what they're doing that you would. Well, the same passion and energy, I don't think that's ever possible (laughs) because the person who starts the company, I mean, that's their life. It's very hard to find someone else who will have the same passion and energy. The skill sets gap, that's that's very clear to see. People are good in a certain few things. Other areas, they're not so good at, or it'll take enormous amounts of time for them to get good at it, and and for what reason, again? It's better to hire help at that point. Well, yeah, it sounds like you're really grateful for taking the chance that you did when you did. You wouldn't be here without it. No, no complaints. It's been 20 years. I've never uh, stuck at a job for (laughs) more than two or three years. I guess I used to get impatient, uh, as I've told many people. I used to think, oh, I've learned this. Now, what's next? I've been doing this for 20 years, but each year has been different, you know, different set of challenges, different learning experiences. And so it's been a great journey. I, I have really enjoyed it. Yeah. And let's see what else is in store, right? Yeah, are you planning <laughs> something next? or Well, growth, of course. And so the hope is that we will grow the company rapidly over the next few years and then be in a position to decide whether we want to sell or do something else. What do you think you would rather be doing if you weren't doing this? I don't know. That's the hard part. I've been working so hard all my life. I really don't know what I would do if I wasn't working. Yeah. <laughs> so, but, but yeah, we're all getting older, I, I think. I don't know. Uh, maybe I'll write books. Maybe I'll do technical talks. I don't know. I, I yeah. think about some of the possibilities after I stop working. Well, you're definitely an entrepreneur, so I'm sure you're going to figure it out. I really appreciate you spending some time with us today and chatting. Well, thank you. Thank you very much, Phil. Great to be here. Thanks for listening to DC Local Leaders. We'd love to connect with you. Find us on LinkedIn and YouTube by searching DC Local Leaders, on Instagram at DC Local Leaders, or our website, dclocalleaders.com. You can find the podcast on Spotify iTunes, Google, or wherever you find great podcasts. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Until next time.